where are there? You too. Best behaviour. <laughs> She's here. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to pray for you, if that's yeah, all right. Thank you. Lord, we thank you so much for Gemma. We thank you for her journey. We thank you for her walk with you. We thank you for all that she has prepared and brought today. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that she would just delight in your presence right now. And uh, as she ministers your word, may she know you ministering to her as well. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, please forgive me. I put my Bible in a plastic bag so that it wouldn't get wet in the torrential downpour. And I've left it on my... Um, kitchen table. So I'm going to use my phone, which is, you know, very modern of me, but not my preferred method, but that's okay. It, no, it's fine, honestly. It's all right. I've got my phone. We're all good. We're going to be fine. Uh, yeah, my name's Gemma. Can I just say, genuinely, it's A, really, really lovely to be with you, but B, um, while I was kind of stood here worshipping this morning, um, my I'm new to my job. Everything's kind of changed in my life, and um, this, that was exactly what, like, from a really selfish point of view, exactly what I needed. So can I just give, like, say a massive thank you to you all because um, my soul feels a little bit better and lighter and brighter just by spending time with you this morning. So genuinely, thank you. Um, thank you so, so much. Um, a little bit about me. I think I have a PowerPoint. Here we go. There we go. Brilliant. It's all working. It's good. Um, that's where I normally am on a Sunday morning. Uh, funny, fun fact, um, the youth worker at Belmont texted me this morning and was like, you're on the rotor for this group that you do and you're not here. What are we going to do? And then he texted me like three minutes later and was like, no, you're not because you told me you weren't going to be here. It's all fine. Don't worry. Um, but that's normally where I am on a Sunday morning. Um, but yeah, as we said, my day job is there. Um, and I am, I'm technically ethos development worker, but that means nothing to no one. So assistant chaplain is what I'm campaigning for. Um, so if you'd like to support my campaign, please do. Um, and yeah, new head of year nine, which is um, mad and mental. And it's been a very uh, steep learning curve thus far. So your prayers are um, much appreciated. But the young people are great. So um, they're not the problem. It's just everything else. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Martin. Um, <laughs> Um, I am a youth worker by trade. That's what I kind of trained to do. So uh, last summer, I just finished four years with Southwest Youth Ministries with SWIM, where I did um, the first year and a degree with them. And that's what I was doing at Belmont before I started working at St. Peter's. So that's kind of my background. Uh, and when I'm not working or I'm not at church, um, you can usually find me there um, on the big bank shouting, not the naughty words, might I add. Um, or in a, in a coffee shop with a book. That's my little treat to myself. Every other week I go to a new coffee shop in Exeter with a nice book and I treat myself to a, an expensive coffee, which might be why I can't afford a house, but there we go. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Now, um, I've been asked to come and speak to you about the Psalms, and I want to really just declare, like, openly and honestly from the front that um, I love the Psalms. Um, I'm someone who feels things quite deeply uh, and quite intensely, and the kind of emotions that we experience in the Psalms, the, the, the highs and the lows, the intensity of it all, it really, really resonates with me. When we read this book, I uh, think we get a glimpse of life in its fullness. And, and what I mean by that is that I think we get a glimpse of what it looks like to be a human in relationship with God. 
And throughout the whole book of the Psalms, we see um, what it looks like to be a human in relationship with God at its absolute best. We see it at its absolute worst. We see it at all the stages in between. And for me, in my own personal life and journey with God, this book has been a gift it's been an encouragement. Um, it's been reassuring to me at points. And it's been really challenging to me at points as well. And the psalm that I've chosen to speak to you about this morning has been all of those things to me at my absolute best and my absolute worst during my relationship with God. Now, um, we are looking at Psalm 42, and we're going to do 43 too, which may be a bit cheating. Um, but the reason we're doing that is because most commentators um, kind of put them together. They're, they're to be read, to be understood together as one. And we're going to talk about why um, in a minute. But before we do that, I would really love to read to you Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Is that right? So, um, if you've got a Bible, you might want to open it, you might want to follow along. You should do that anyway, um, just as a top tip, because sometimes the people up here, they get stuff wrong. So, you should be following along when they're talking on the Bible, because they might misquote something and you can heckle. Um, and who doesn't love a heckle during a sermon? Right, let me, um, let me read for you. Here we go. Psalm 42, verse 1. Off we go. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my Lord. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me all day long, saying, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much um, for time spent together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it, it speaks uh, to us and into all sorts of situations that we face in life. Holy Spirit, we just ask now that you open us up to hear from you. 
Lord, um, we just pray that, that by your spirit you'll speak to us, that you'll uh, help us to, to hear your encouragement, to, to accept your nudges, to, to, to accept your challenges. Lord, we just pray that, that through this we can become more of the people that you intended us to be. Amen. Thank you. So the 16 verses then that make up Psalm 42 and 43, um, in my own personal journey with God, I think have been the most influential. Um, and my hope is that as we explore them over the next 20 minutes or so, um, that they will have something of the impact on you and your walk with God that they've had on me and my walk with God. Because I think these verses hold a truth that can, if, if we allow it to at least, completely... Um, transform our outlook, our perspective, our understanding of those highs and lows and remind us of a truth that actually is really, really easy to lose when things get difficult and when things get hard. So the psalm is all about perceived distance and separation from God. That is what the psalmist is upset about in this psalm. Um, they feel like they're far away from God. They feel like they're far away from his presence. If you go to verse 42, it says, My soul thirsts for the living God. The live, uh, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, I've used the word perceived distance there because I believe that you can never actually be far away from God. I believe in, a, in an omnipresent and always everywhere God. And I think sometimes... We, we feel far away because we have, like, our back to God. It's like in those kind of moments where, I don't know, the Chuckle Brothers did it a lot, but where um, you're stood back to back and you can't find the person because you're just doing that. I think we can do that with God sometimes. We can't see him, but he's there. And um, I think that's important, that for, for us, our understanding of God in this time now is that he's always there and he can always be met, regardless of where we are. We don't have to be in this place. We don't have to be anywhere. We can always meet with God. Um, but for the psalmist, um, it's a little bit different. Ooh, sorry, I forgot. There we go. For the psalmist, God can hear regardless of where you are. God can act regardless of where you are. But God can only be met in one place, and that's with his people in the temple. And, and to be separate from his people, to be separate from the temple, was to be separate from the presence of God. And that's what the psalmist is longing for um, in verse 1. Chapter 42. Now, this psalm, which is like a, a combination of lament and, and plea and longing, is all about not hearing, not seeing, not uh, meeting with God and being surrounded by a culture and, and a people who question his very nature and existence. That's what we read in uh, chapter 42, verses 4 and 10. And I think, actually, that whether you are someone who is walking with Jesus now or not, that is something we um, can resonate with, I think. Um, that question of, sorry, I'm not very good at clicking, where is your God? When things are tough, when things go wrong, when God feels distant, that question, where is your God? That's something that I've asked so many times in my life, and I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that, that has done that. And yet, in this psalm, that is all about feeling distant from God, all about feeling separate from God, all, all about wondering where God is, God is mentioned um, 22 times. In those 16 verses, 
God is mentioned 22 times. He's there in this psalm. He's there in the psalmist's thought life. He's there in the psalmist's life, even if the psalmist doesn't feel like he is. For me, this psalm shows us that, that we're allowed to question We're allowed to long. We're allowed to be frustrated and fed up, especially when we experience that like perceived distance. In the midst of that, though, of that disturbance of the things that are hard, it is possible, as we'll look at the psalmist doing, to still hold a a, a perspective, still hold this kind of view that that God is good. And that might be really weird for us to think about, but, but it's there. In this psalm, we're shown that actually we praise despite because that's the only remedy, the only fix to a soul that feels downcast, a soul that feels depleted, a soul that feels downtrodden. And that's the thing that we're going to kind of, oh, I forgot to click. I'm so sorry. Um, That's what we're going to look at um, over the next, um, yeah, over our time together. So let's start by exploring that, that first one, that idea that we're allowed to question to long to be frustrated and fed up with God. As you read the psalm, one thing you can be really, really clear on is the fact that the psalmist is struggling. He's not in a good space. The psalm opens with longing and grief, and that's a theme that kind of is carried out throughout the 16 verses. He is thirsty for God. He is longing for God. He is frustrated with God. And and as we go through, we see that he basically is just done. He is just done with it all. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? That's a really powerful line, isn't it? Uh, my housemate often, well, regularly actually, accuses me of being overdramatic and exaggerating, which is fair. That's a fair uh, criticism of me. I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> That's something else. And yet, I can think back to times in my own life where that probably is actually how I felt. Where it seems like all I've been able to do is cry. And and for me, it wasn't so much people saying, where is your God? But like a little voice in my head in those moments when things were really hard going, where's your God, Gemma? Where is he now? What's he doing now? See, the psalmist, he wants to be sustained by those um, streams of living water that he's so thirsty for. And yet the thing that's sustaining his existence at the moment is his tears. Again, in uh, 42.10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taught me all day long saying to me, where is your God? This pain, this, this suffering, this distance is not just affecting him emotionally. It's affecting every part of his person. He feels like he's dying. He feels like he's under attack in all ways possible. And God, his rock, the very thing that's supposed to defend and protect him, is not only not there in his eyes, but is opening him up to a greater attack as well. The psalmist, though, isn't just like moaning in this. He's not just being overdramatic for the fun of it. John Goldingay writes in his commentary that, that this moment, this reflection, this prayer is meant for God's ears. He's expressing this to God. As the psalmist questions the very nature of God in 42 verse 9 and 43 verse 2, he shares really openly with God his torment. 
And he does so knowing, right, that God is hearing everything he says. And I think that's really, really powerful. Because in those times where we struggle, where we find things hard and difficult, those times where our tears have become our food and we feel like our bones are in mortal agony, the times where we feel forgotten and rejected, we can come to God and we can tell him that. And why? Well, because he's big enough to take it and his love is strong enough to handle it. When I was growing up, um, my parents went through a really difficult time in their marriage. My dad um, got uh, quite ill and um, decided basically he didn't really want to be a dad anymore. And he moved out for a little bit. And my brother and I didn't see him for, for quite a while, actually. Um, my parents kind of sorted that out. And it was all fine. And he came back and we never talked about it again. Because <laughs> that's what we do in our family. And... Um, I really struggled, really struggled with having him back again. Um, I felt like when he left, he had forgotten me. I felt like he had rejected me. I heard him say that he didn't want to be a dad anymore, so I I felt like he'd rejected me. And, And I felt like he'd really abandoned me for the six months or so that he was away. And I remember a few years later, this all kind of like coming to a head in one of those kind of big teenage arguments you have when you're a teenager and you hate your parents, one of those kind of big fights. And, and I remember shouting at my dad and saying, you, you left me, you, don't, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and my dad said, look, if you want to hit me, hit me. If you want to shout at me, shout at me. I can take it. And um, there was this moment in our lounge, I remember it really vividly, where I just um, started hit, like punching my dad in the chest. Um, I thought it was quite hard, but I was about 13, so it probably wasn't. But um, just punching and punching and punching him. And as I was doing that, he held me um, and he hugged me until I kind of got it out of my system. My dad, um, he knew how I felt towards him at that time, but he also knew that I needed to know that, that I could say that that I could share that with him, and he would still be there. And I think that's what God does with us a little bit. I think that's what God is probably doing here in in the background of this psalm. He knows how we feel. He knows our frustrations, our hurt, our resentment, and our pain. So there's literally no point in not telling him and trying to shove it down and hide it, because he knows how we're feeling anyway. And he can take us being honest with him about it. My dad knew, he knew how I felt towards him at that time. Um, And he knew that I needed to know that I could say it and he would still be there. And if you're in a situation right now that is really difficult and really tough, you are allowed to tell God exactly how you feel. And you don't have to mask it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to shove it down or sugarcoat it or anything like that. Because If you need to shout, you shout. And if you need to punch, you punch. Not literally at people, God. Um, And you can do so in the knowledge that he still has you, right? He still holds you. His love can take it. Okay? Now, now holding to that kind of truth that I literally just told you, um, that it's okay to feel and express the things we find difficult, we kind of come to this second idea, yeah? 
that in the midst of our kind of disturbance, the difficulty, the pain, it's also possible to feel all those things and still hold perspective. If we go to verse 6 of chapter 42, it says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Now, slight uh, detour in this sermon, um, because I thought this might be quite helpful. Um, Those places mentioned indicate the distance the the psalmist is feeling from God. Okay, We don't know if he's physically in Mount Mazar or whether he's just emotionally there. Um, but, But if you have a look at the map that I very kindly presented to you um it's about as far away as it could possibly be and just you don't have cars either so that's a blooming long walk um he's he's about as far away in the ancient world as he could possibly be from the temple and yet despite that massive distance between where he wants to be and where he is the author recognizes the need to remember god despite how he's feeling now Remembering in, in, in the Jewish kind of understanding is far, far deeper than just like recalling something, okay? Um, to remember today is like we just recall that something happened. But, but for this psalmist, it's, it's different. T- to remember God is to kind of remember all that God is and all that God has done. To remember God is to remember that all he has said and all he means. And to remember God is an intentional and it is an active act okay it requires more than thought it requires action too in this instance the psalmist remembering is about him choosing to hold on not to what he sees around him not to what he's experiencing inside of him but to what he knows to be true of God and living like that or at least doing his best to rather than the circumstances he finds himself in as well we see it again I guess uh, well we see this first of all sorry um, in um, chapter 8 by day the Lord directs his love at night his song is with me a prayer to the God of my life and then to a lesser extent in Psalm 43 send me your light and your faithful care let them lead me let them bring me to your holy mountain um, to the place where you dwell the psalmist knows that however he might feel in the moment Um, God has him. Day and night, God is there with him. His love, that faithful, that unchanging, that that covenantal, promise-keeping love is with him and will guide him and will keep him until he and God are reunited again. And there is this, this sureness in the psalmist's voice that God will come through and they will be reunited again and he will be in his presence again and he will be able to praise him again. Now, when I first read this psalm, um, I thought that was really, really out of place. The psalmist is disturbed, he's distressed, he's unhappy. And yet among these kind of, this sadness that's in him, there are these moments of light and truth and clarity. And I thought that was really weird, but he's somehow able to feel how he feels and say what he says while still holding on to the goodness of God. And that's all to do with the fact that the psalmist is able to maintain his perspective. When I start to exaggerate at home, my housemate goes, this is literally a quote from her, perspective, Gemma, perspective. That's how she says it as well. Um, Because she knows that if, if I'm not careful, 
I will just get consumed in whatever thing I'm excited or sad about in that moment. Um, and likewise, at work, I have a little sign on my computer that says, this is not as big as it feels right now. Right? And, and th that whole thing is about trying to keep me focused on, on what is really true, trying to keep my perspective in line with what is really true. This psalm, although sad, is actually full of hope. Because the psalmist is still able to keep his eyes on God despite how he feels. His eyes on God's promises despite on how he feels. Um, quick trip to um, Hebrews 6. Um, it's, Hebrews 6 is all about the certainty of God's promises to us. Um, and uh, we read in verse 19 that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's what we sung earlier. Uh, and it's easy when things are going wrong, when things feel rubbish, when life is pants, just to spiral, just to be consumed by it, just to be overwhelmed by it, and then lose sight of anything good in our lives. I literally do it all the time, um, and I have to stop. But the psalmist knows better than I do that how he feels doesn't have to determine his whole life. He is able to look above the rubbish, to remember despite, and to hold on to what is true, even if that's not reflected in his life. In the midst of your disturbances in your life, in your difficulties and your struggles and the things when everything just seems to go wrong, where are you looking? When you feel distance from God, where are you looking? Because if you spend your time trying to find God in here, or you spend your life just kind of keeping your eyes in the mess, that's all you're going to see. That's all you're going to feel. And that's all that will ever be. But if you're able to look up, even if it's just sporadically, even if it's just for like a few moments here and there, oh my gosh, it changes everything. Because there is like this hope that we get when we see God. Because we remember all that he is, remember all that he's done, and we remember all that he's, gonna pr he's promised to do. And that is like the brightest light we could possibly hold on to. Changes everything. Holding that perspective in the midst of the disturbance, though, is difficult. It's really difficult. It's a battle. And it's difficult for our psalmist, too, which is where the, the refrain, the thing that links these two psalms together comes in. So it pops up in three times. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm so bad at this. It pops up in three times um, in, our, uh, in our passage today. It pops up in 42 verse 5, 42 verse 11, and 43 verse 5. And for me, if I'm allowed to say the word mantra in a sermon, um, it's become something of a mantra in my, in my own personal life. Um, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In the context of the psalm itself, these three refrains, um, although are exactly the same, um, do read slightly differently, I think. The first one feels more desperate, like the psalmist is really trying to convince himself that there is hope. The second one feels like it's more of a reminder that it's true, even though it's hard. The third one, though, the third one feels a little bit different. The third one feels really hopeful. Um, here the psalmist, he's just finished speaking about how he's going to worship God again in the temple. We just heard that. And it's like he's declaring, in spite of all that he's just processed, 
about everything that he feels, that God shall and will be praised by him. This psalm is all about a person desperately trying to understand and rationalize all they are feeling in a moment uh, with all that they know to be true. And I think this refrain wonderfully, wonderfully demonstrates that. When I read it, I read it a bit like this. I don't know um, if you see sometimes in TV shows or in films, uh, protagonists, these characters, they have this moment where they kind of look in a mirror and they talk to themselves. They give themselves like a little pep talk. They're like, you've got this, you can do this, or, or stop doing this, or whatever it might be. That's what this refrain feels like to me. Um, it's a moment of grounding or, or truth-telling uh, before, they, before they've faced the difficult kind of thing they have to face. And I think that's the psalmist, that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's doing his best not to allow himself to be swallowed up by the rubbish situation he finds himself in. Because he doesn't want to be taken over simply by what he feels. Because he knows that his emotions aren't always the truest voice in his head. And that's really important. Sometimes we have to hold on to what we know to be true above what we feel in a moment. And trust that despite, just trust that despite, even though that's really, really hard to do. Um, I'm a feelingsy person. What I feel will always trump what I know, right? If I feel hungry, even though I've just eaten five minutes ago, I am hungry. That's just, that's just how it works, yeah? Um, we live in a world that, that also really kind of prioritizes and values feeling, above all else too. And, and that comes with really great things, yeah? I think because I feel so intently, I'm, I, I experience life in maybe a brighter color than other people do. But when it comes to God, we have to be really, really careful not to take the same approach. Um, God is good all the time, all the time. That's what we're told in scripture. And um, that's true even when things aren't going well. That's true even when we don't feel it. And the reason that um, this refrain has become something of a particular mantra in my own life is that little word there, that yet. And this is, don't worry guys, I'm finishing. This is where we're going to land, all right? Um, that yet is what this whole thing is about for me. I said earlier that in this psalm we're shown um, that we, we praise God despite what we face because um, it's the only kind of remedy to a, a downcast and downtrodden and, down and depleted soul. That's what this yet is all about for me. This yet is what it looks like to praise God despite. And it's like a three-letter free word. It's like nothing, is it? And yet, it's probably one of the hardest and the most powerful things we can say in the face of struggle, in the face of dis difficulty, in the face of disturbance. That yet says, I remember all that you are, God, and I wait for you. That yet says, I trust you to deliver me, even though I feel undeliverable. That yet says, I know you are God, 
and I know that this isn't it for me. That yet says, your promises are true, and I cling to them, even though I do not see that right now. That yet, I think, shouts, I have hope. And it's that hope, as I said earlier, that lifts us, that hope that gets us through, that hope that recenters, refills, and like, I don't know if this is a word, renavigates us through the ups and the downs of life. And I guess my question to you this morning is, um, have you found your yet yet? It's quite fun to say. Um, it doesn't have to be a strong yet. I think right at the beginning of our psalm, it's a really weak yet. I think towards the end, it gets a bit stronger. It doesn't have to be a loud yet. But it changes absolutely everything because it shifts the focus from me and my feelings to him and his truth. When I am weak, he is strong. When I can't fix it, eh, he can. It brings our focus back on the presence of God. And it does that when we're struggling to see him. It does that when we feel distance from him. That yet changes absolutely everything if we allow it to. So, this psalm, what great, what great psalm. This psalm shows us that we're allowed to question. We're allowed to be angry. We're allowed to get frustrated, fed up in the face of feeling distance from God. This psalm shows us that in the midst of our difficulties and our struggles and even that distance, we can and we should still try to hold on to that kind of God-facing perspective. This psalm shows us that it's possible to praise despite our circumstances if we keep that focus on God. In a minute, I am going to pray for us, but before I do, I want to leave you with this quote. This is from a lady called Nancy de Classy Walford, which is an absolute incredible name. Um, and she says this. When we find ourselves in circumstances where God seems to be absent, when our very being feels as though the weight of the world is upon them, may we be able to speak the assuring words, wait for God, for I will yet praise him. My hope this morning is that that will be true for you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it um, can and, and hopefully has spoken to us this morning. Lord, help us to be people who are able to find our yets. Whatever that looks like for us in our lives, help us to be able to cling to you, to your truth, to praise you despite because we know who you are. Help us to keep our focus on you when things are tough. And help us to, to see you when you feel impossible to see. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Round of, yes, round of applause. Let's do it, let's do it. Thank you, Gemma, that was fabulous. So what I'd like us to do is um, to, to do that. We're going to get the band.